it's about knowing when to say, I'm sorry. It's about making the decision to choose what's more important. No, wait. This wait. It's about doing little acts of kindness, even when no one else is around. Small things, done consistently, end up having the greatest spiritual impact. This message began with a single word, and if you missed it, the word was this. A friendship begins with a small introduction. Hi, my name's Grant, and someday I hope to be able to spend time face-to-face with every one of you because sometimes this place feels just a little overwhelming when it comes to relationships. A marathon begins with one step. A recipe begins with one key ingredient, bacon, if it's good. (laughs) A song begins with one note or one chord. A revolution begins with one significant change. A plan begins with one solitary idea. A life begins with one breath. A fortune, no matter how you define it, begins with one dollar. A future begins with one present moment, and I'm praying that this is that moment that changes everything for all of us. And a change begins with one significant decision made by one very important person, you or me. This is a new series called Small Things. I wrote the title and now it's already driving me crazy. The reason it's driving me crazy is because they teach you in effective communication classes that you're never supposed to use the word things. And I'm always busting our campus pastors when it comes to saying, I'd like to share four things with you this morning because I'm always, what is that thing? Nobody really knows what a thing is. It's not a thing. It's a truth. It's It's a thought. It's an application. It's a principle. It's never a thing. And then I went and broke my own rule and I named this crazy series Small Things. And it's not just a thing, which is very, very nebulous. It's actually a small thing, which makes it small and nebulous. According to the dictionary, there are definitions that are important for all of us. The first one is the word small, which is an adjective, which means of limited size, of comparatively restricted dimensions, not big. That's helpful, right? Not big, little of great or of no great size or importance. So in my words, small means not a big deal, easily overlooked, but we're going to learn this. It's the small things that don't get overlooked that actually create an unbelievable impact over a long period of time. Another definition is that crazy word, things. It's a noun. It means some entity, object, or creature that's not or cannot be specifically designated or precisely described. Or in my words, nebulously, it's all about stuff and things. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about small things. In fact, the Bible lays out a truth that it's the small things that you do or the small thing that you can become that actually have the greatest effect. It's like compounding interest. It starts small, and over a long period of time, when consistently applied, it begins to build towards an infinitely powerful ending. The Bible keeps telling us that if we string enough small things together, we can actually create something that can revolutionize a heart. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to test an idea. And the idea is this, small things done over a long period of time create the greatest impact. Let me say it again. Small things done over a long period of time create the greatest impact. Now, this is counterintuitive because the world is obsessed with another question. 
They're answering this question, and the question is this. What's the next big thing? Everybody wants to know, what's the next big thing when it comes to entertainment, the next big thing when it comes to technology, the next big thing when it comes to transportation? And then the world presses in on us and asks us an even greater question. What's the next big thing, and how are you going to be a part of it? Like, how are you actually going to invest it? Because if you're not a part of the next big thing and don't invest yourself in the next big thing, you're going to miss the next big thing, and what's wrong with you? That's what the world keeps saying. So we fall into that pattern and we begin to dream big and think big and plan big because we don't want to miss out. And, and we find ourselves saying the words, you've heard it before, go big or go home. There it is, right? It even happens in church. You know, people make a significant decision. It, it, it seems small in scope inside of our heart, but it has large, far, far-reaching, huge implications, the decision to follow Jesus. But here's the crazy thing. As soon as we come into church, we start making lists. And it starts going like this, what can I do? What can't I do? What's not allowed anymore? What is allowed anymore? Where do I get a Bible? Do I need to learn Hebrew and Greek in order to make sense of this entire thing? I should start sharing my faith. God's called me to be a missionary. I should become an evangelist. I know how to do that. I'm going to rent a stadium. I'm going to need a Christian band. We're going to need a lot of stuff because this thing's got to be huge. We kind of are addicted to that huge thing, right? So you're a husband and you do something stupid. Any guys relate to that, right? And, and you do something that, that hurts your wife. And what she really wants more than anything is just a sincere apology. But our brain immediately starts thinking, I, I, need, I, I need to rent a billboard. And I need to put these big words on it that say, I'm sorry. And I need to get a t-shirt that says, I'm stupid. And I need to wear it every day for 30 days in a row. So she really knows that. In fact, here's what I need to do. I need to buy something. I'm going to buy a ring. That's what I'm going to do. That'll make it all better. No, it's a vacation. It's a ring and a vacation. That's what I need to do. In fact, she needs a new car just so she knows how contrite I am in my heart that this is so unbelievably bad. And the truth is, she's sitting at home going, you know what I wish? I wish he would just man up and sincerely apologize. And buy me a ring maybe just in case because we'll just throw that in there. Let's be honest, right? So we just have this grand gesture that just kind of wells up inside of us and God keeps saying, are you sure that's the way that I called you to go? Because when we think grand gesture, at some point, we just kind of get overwhelmed. And when we get overwhelmed, we get frozen. And when we get frozen, we don't move. And when we don't move, we just stop and watch the rest of the world get bigger and bigger and bigger. And every time it gets bigger, we feel a little smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, Jesus has this nasty habit in Scripture of just flipping everything upside down. You notice that? Every time there's pressure to go one direction, Jesus keeps going the other direction. So in response to that, the world keeps saying, what's the next big thing? Jesus has this completely different angle. He asks a completely different script question all the way through Scripture, and Jesus' question is this, what's your next small thing? Stick with me, okay? I've been intrigued by this for months, and it's kind of morphed into our teaching for the next couple of weeks because Jesus keeps hitting me with this idea of divine opposites. Every time I think he's going to go big, he flips it over and goes a different direction. In fact, every time in the world or his followers come to Jesus and they're pressuring him, Jesus, this is what we're going to do. Here's what's on the agenda for today. We're going to overthrow the Roman Empire. And you're going to be the king of the whole thing. And you're going to rally this unbelievable military force. And we're going to flip the Romans on their ear. It's going to be a great day. And we're going to accomplish all of this by 6 o'clock this evening. And Jesus keeps going, uh, no. We're not going to go big. We're going to go small. Check this out. Humanity keeps wanting to go big. God keeps going small. Let me explain it to you and show it to you through Scripture. So Jesus is the king of the universe, right? 
It doesn't get any bigger than that. It doesn't get any more epic than that. It's not, I mean, it just defies description. God, Jesus, is the king of the universe. And Colossians tries to embody how big he is with a few human words. Let me read you some Bible. Colossians says this, he, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. That word keeps showing up. If you don't like it, tough. It's biblical, okay? You're going to hear things over and over and over again. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. That's good Bible right there. You could spend an entire lifetime just trying to unpack those couple of verses. And here's the crazy thing. That infinite God, that that huge monstrosity of God's person shows up small, in finite smallness. Because we all know the king of the universe becomes a small human baby. Think about that. The king of the universe, who could go big, instead goes small. Matthew 121, she will give birth to a son and you were to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. We have had a run of summer weather. It has been absolutely epic for the last four or five days. The fact that you guys are actually inside on a day that, that actually might have sun in it makes you just unbelievably holy people. Congratulations. And the fact that you're here on a spring break weekend, that's just unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable. But I'm going to say this to completely wreck your beautiful run of summer weather, because I read this verse, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I read that and I got two words for you, even though it doesn't fit this time of year. Merry Christmas. That's where we hear it, right? God became small. Why? You. You're the reason God became small. I'm the reason that God became small. Small. Well, let's continue. That huge God expresses himself in Scripture. In fact, in one place early in the Bible, God speaks to Elijah, one of his prophets, and God is putting on this amazing show. But when the show is over, here's what's crazy. Instead of God doing big, he goes small because the God of heaven speaks in a, as the Bible calls it, a still, small voice. Listen to this, 1 Kings 19. Behold, the Lord passed by. Now think about this just for a second, little, little, little aside. This is going to describe what happens when God just passes by, okay? It, it's a drive-by, it's a drive-by experience. God's just passing by. Imagine what would happen if he actually stopped after you read this. If he stopped and made eye contact with you, that should help you understand just how grand and epic this God is. This is, and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Have you ever wondered why God whispers? I think it's because when He whispers, you've got to lean in. In fact, if you talk over top of somebody when they're whispering, you're going to miss the conversation completely. God is sending us an unbelievably powerful 
message in this moment. He wants us to lean in. He wants us to choose quiet. He wants us to turn down the volume of our life so that we can actually hear him when he speaks to us in that still, small voice. Now, can God shout? Oh, absolutely. Read your Old Testament. He's shouting all of the time, and sometimes he does. But most often in my experience, he goes, small, whispers. Jesus actually taught the principle of small all through the New Testament. He's teaching about faith. You'd expect him to tell everyone, this is how it works. You need to have big faith. And if you don't have big enough faith, you should learn how to stretch that thing out. You need to take big faith steps. You need to step up, visualize it. You need to go big or go. But instead, Jesus flips it over and basically says, actually, no. I need you to get small. And that's the way you get home. In fact, the Bible says this. Jesus said, if we have faith the size of a mustard seed. Okay, for the record, that's small. The Bible says this, Matthew 17. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say this to the mountain. Move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Mustard seed faith. Let me show you a picture of that, actually. So here's a mustard seed. And those are human fingers. Magnified hundreds, maybe thousands of times. And God says, you'd expect him to go, it's got to be huge. And God goes, no, actually, this will do. In fact, God teaches that if you can get faith that big, Mount Baker will start getting nervous. That's all you need. You need, you need faith that big to believe that, that you, if you plant something in your neighborhood, that God can actually grow it and have other people see the Jesus in you, and you might actually have the unbelievable experience of seeing somebody else come to faith because of your story. That, that, that's all you need. God says, if you have faith that big, that's all it takes to move the heart of God and to push us in a direction where God starts showing up and starts proving himself to be the God who is exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or even imagine. That's it. And we look at that and we're like, "Mm." God keeps going small. It keeps happening. Jesus said this, if we want to be great in his kingdom, we need to take a small role. The Bible says this, Jesus talking to his 12 closest friends, gathers them together and says this, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So Jesus flips over because, guys, if you want to be great in my kingdom, here's what's got to happen. Don't think big, think small and serve small. There's no menial tasks in the kingdom of God. You need to do what God has asked you to do, whether it's significant, insignificant, it doesn't matter because God sees it so much differently. In fact, things that are done in the name of God are often overlooked by the world, but they're never overlooked by God himself. That should tell us something. All through scripture, I'm blown away. The king of the universe, and what do we find him doing? Washing feet, hanging out with people who have a communicable skin disease called leprosy, and we find him making breakfast on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Don't you just love that? Hey, God, what are you up to today? I'm going to make breakfast, I'm going to invite some friends. It's going to be epic. Come on over for a barbecue. We're going to do the kingdom big time today. Don't you love that? I mean, think about it, right? Small role, 
small seed, the people from our food bank and our CTK garden just blow me away. It just blows me away because they do the same thing. Every con- they're consistent every day. They're there showing up. And here's the craziest thing that happened. Last year, a bunch of people, small group of people, took a small roll, planted some small seeds in the ground up on the Hannigan. And, and the crazy thing was God actually said, okay, that's cool. Let's grow it. And it grew and it grew and it grew. And then they took all of that stuff. 40,000 pounds of produce, took it to the people at the food bank, and we gave it away for one reason, because we have a conviction that no one should go to bed hungry if Christ the King Church can do something about it. It's just a beautiful thing, but you see how small? It keeps going. Jesus said, if we have faith like a small child, we will inherit his kingdom. I love this. The disciples are having an argument. Who's the greatest, God? Who gets to sit on the right or the left? Who's a big deal when it comes to the 12 guys that you pulled into your small group? Let's talk about that, God. Who, who's the superstar? And instead of going big, Jesus goes small. I love this. In answer to their ego-driven questions, this is what happens. The Bible says, he called a little child to him. <laughs> hey, little fella, come here for a second. Could you stand in the midst of these big grown-ups here? Because they're idiots, and I need them to learn that you've actually got this. Hey, sweetie, come here. Could you come here for a second? Could you stand inside of this group of of, of great big men because they just asked me who the greatest in the kingdom is, and you know what, baby? You're it. I love that. He called a little child to him, placed the child among them, and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We should underline that. Unless you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I got to see this last week. Walking over here to the coffee shop, meeting with another person. And there's a little kid, little guy, just, just, just a little shrimp of a guy. And, and he's, he's doing one of these on the sidewalk. And I walk over, I'm like... Isa bug. Isa bug. Come see my bug. Come see my bug. And I couldn't resist it, right? I'm just like, I'm down on the guy over here, right? And I'm looking at the bug. And the best ladybug in the universe was on that piece of ground right there. And this little guy is just like, if I would have had a magnifying glass, we would have gotten up close. I mean, it was incredible to see what was actually. Now, some of you go, that's just weird. Can I ask you a question, Mr. Grown-Up or Mrs. Grown-Up? Where did your childlike wonder go? Because Jesus said that that's actually it right there. Some of us, we had four beautiful days. Anybody ignore the mountain? We just get so used to it though, don't we? It's just there all of the time. It's not that big of a deal. And we forget the fact that our God made Baker by going like this. And we lose our wonder. And God says, you've got to recapture that. It's a small thing. It means you actually, have to, you actually have to stop. You've got to look. You've got to be present. You need to be aware. You actually just have to take just a second. And notice that, that God ran an insect in front of your path just so you'd stop for a second and look down so that your mind would go, how unbelievable is it that God could make something like that and immediately your heart bounces from down to up. Keep going, we're not done yet. Jesus said if we were faithful in small things, we would be entrusted with big things. So apparently faithful in a little means good stewardship. 
Now, don't make the mistake of going, oh, I get this how this is supposed to work, right? You know, I'm going to be faithful with the little things because there's a payoff. And God's going to give me more stuff, and that's fantastic. Actually, the way it works is this. If you're faithful in little things, God says you'll be actually blessed with more responsibility when it comes to greater things. Luke 16, 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Let's just face it. We don't do this very well, do we? We don't think this way. There's something in us that dreams of big when God keeps calling us to, to, to be small. And it just doesn't sit very well. And so what do we do? We start making lists of things to do. Some of you are already going, I know what I'm going to do. I got I to gotta get a quarter full of, uh, uh, or a pocket full of quarters. I'm going to walk around downtown. I'm going to drive the, the, house, or the, the parking authority crazy. I'm just going to keep plugging these things. It's going to be wonderful. And the reason I'm going to do that is because if God sees that and he notices it, what it means is I'm going to win the next lottery when I start playing those numbers. We forget that everything in our life starts with one small decision, one small step. And some of us are just like, but it just seems so trivial, Grant. Like, what's, what's the deal? You know what? It may seem trivial to us, but did you know that starting small was God's idea? God said start small. It's an amazing deal. God, God gave a guy named Zerubbabel this huge project, massive building project. It is mammoth in scope. No one human being should be able to actually accomplish that. And the Bible tells us that, that God tells him to start small. In fact, it starts with a string and a weight. He takes a single measurement because he's got this novel idea that the building should actually be plumb and square. Before he even makes a decision to, to bring a brick, which is going to build into a wall, it's just like, no, I'm not, we're going to measure this thing up. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, here's what the Bible says. God said to start small. It says, do not despise these small beginnings. So basically, check your attitude if you think this stuff doesn't matter. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices just to see the work begin. I mean, just that one tiny little step, God's just like, yeah, something. Small decision, small movement, being instead of just doing all of the time. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. God's just thrilled over the fact that the boy's taking a measurement. So here's what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks. We're going to work on the small things. And, and I want you to resist the idea of... I'm just going to create a list of all of these small things that I need to do. Because if you do that, you're kind of missing the whole point. In fact, I'm going to ask you to consider just one of the following seemingly insignificant decisions and actions that when you compile together, actually create this beautiful, vibrant life of following Jesus. I mean, my Bible describes following Jesus as a great adventure. Where did we miss it when it turned into this boring religious duty? God says, no, 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 this is supposed to be an adventure, but it all begins with a very small thing. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read some Bible, and it all starts with reading one verse. In fact, some of you have committed to, you're going to read through the Bible. That's a big process, right? I'm going to read from the Bible from cover to cover. Probably going to take me a couple of years because it's just absolutely huge. But that's going to start with one verse. In fact, Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, what's the fourth word of Scripture? God, ooh. So apparently he's got this thing about beginning stuff and things. We're going to follow his plan, which means we're going to take one small step. 
We're going to try and undo some, some seemingly insignificant small sins like, like gossip. And we're going to do that by applying one verse. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That's pretty specific, right? We're going to look at small acts of planned kindness. We're not talking about random acts of kindness. I mean, those are great. They're wonderful. Be my guest. You know, if you want to just walk around and plug meters downtown, be, be my guest. That's great. But no, we're talking about being strategic. We're talking about planning out an act of kindness because we know that if I string enough of those together, it may actually turn into a conversation that may end up changing someone's eternal destiny. But I have to be consistent. See, that's the thing. We like to do individual small things. God keeps saying, no, I actually need you to strategically put those together. And if you add them up, cumulative over a long period of time, I promise you're going to have an amazing impact. We're going to apply some simple wisdom. Stuff like this. Before you talk, listen. Before you react, think. Before you criticize, pause. Before you give up, try again. Little pieces. Now, I want to speak to the objection that may be running through your mind and is a danger right now of actually coming spilling out of your mouth. Because some of us think about this as soon as we see this type of stuff. It's just like, Grant, here's my spoken objection. I tried it and I didn't work. It didn't work. I tried it, got nowhere. I got small, I got quiet, I followed the instructions, it didn't work. So big didn't work for me, small didn't work for me. So now I'm choosing to do nothing, okay? Well, before you just choose to do nothing, let me ask you a few questions about the last time you actually attempted to go small. Question number one, in whose strength did you start small? Now, be honest, okay? Did you try it and do it on your own? Was it really about your own strength trying to summon up enough willpower? Here's what we know about willpower. None of us has any of it. That's why we all make a resolution. I'm going to the gym January 1. And by January 15th, the gym is a ghost town and all the members come back because nobody's on their treadmill anymore. We know it's true, right? So in whose strength did you try? Did you make your own plan and ask God to endorse it? Because that's what we do, right? God, here's the strategic plan for the rest of my life. I need you to sign at the bottom. Would you document this and replace it, give it back to me in triplicate? I would appreciate that. And if you could get it numbers one through five by six o'clock tonight, that would be awesome. And God says, that's not the way it works in my kingdom. I don't endorse you. It works this way. You sign on the bottom of a blank piece of paper. You hand it to me and I fill in all the details because I'm in charge of everything. You're in charge of nothing. And I'm going to ask you not to go big. I'm going to ask you to go small. So in whose strength did you start small? Number two. What was your motivation to start small, your true motivation? Did you start small with a pure heart, but then this ego thing started creeping in back and forth, all the rest of it, and pretty soon it started to be, I'm going to start small, but the, actually the, the end goal is I want to get recognized. I'm going to start small with a little tiny conversation, but someday I'm going to get that, I'm going to be up at front, and I'm going to put on that microphone, and I'm going to tell people how to really live their life. I mean, that's my ultimate goal because I want the spotlight. Just for the record, if you want it, you can have it anytime you want to. Be my guest. Were we really hoping that somehow God was going to recognize us? Did we really want to be a, a big deal? Did we go small for our glory or for God's glory? Because those motivations will take you to two very different endpoints. And here's the last one. Let's boil it right down. When it came to the last small thing that you decided you were going to apply yourself to, who picked the small thing? 
Because this is what happens, right? We think about going small, we start making lists. I'm going to create a list of random acts of kindness, and I'm going to go do them because that makes God happy. When God is happy, there are certain payouts, and I want to make sure that I get all the rewards that are coming to me. So I'm going to do a couple of nice things over here so that God will bless me. Here's the key, okay? Being diligent in the small things is not about plugging someone's parking meter. It's about being able to listen so intently to that still, small voice that if he whispered to you to do it, you would. It's not about what you're going to do or not going to do. It's about whether or not you can listen to him. And this is what it's all about. It's about our obedience. Pastor Frank has a famous saying around here. Pastor Frank Talbot is like the dad of our entire staff. And he's always just like, friends, 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 friends. Friends, I want to remind you of something. We are not human doings. We are human beings. Like that'll preach a whole series all by itself. God might ask you to do something, but before he does that, I promise you he's going to ask you to be something first. You know what he told me today on my way in? It's just quiet in my car, just driving in. He said, Grant, be grateful. Be grateful. So I just sat in my car and said, God, thank you that I've seen the mountain four days in a row. Thank you that I've got a family that loves me, even when I'm an idiot. Thank you for a spiritual family that allows me to be a human being, not just a human doing. God, thank you. And you know what? It's just what a great morning it's been. God may ask you to be before he ever asks you to do. The question is, are you willing to actually listen to what it is that he says? So today we're going to start by small, and we're going to simply listen to that still small voice, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to practice what we preach. And in a moment, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to bow your head and close your eyes. Not because that's how you have to pray, but it just allows you to concentrate. I'm not going to tell you to stifle your cough and allow it to be completely quiet in here. Because if I do that, some of you will not be able to help yourselves. Uh, such was, was a great example last night at the Saturday night. I said, please don't cough. And everybody was just like, <laughs> it was horrible. So I'm not going to say anything about coughing or not coughing, all right? Some of you are just like, I'm going to die. Where's the water, right? Drink your neighbor's coffee. That'll be perfect, all right? So, ooh, that's just wrong. Anyway, but we're going to take a moment and we're going to listen. Now, this freaks some people out because they think, what if God actually says something? Can I tell you this? If it's of God, it'll be the most loving thing you've ever heard. So just be there. Now, some of you are like, but, but, but what, what, if, what, what if he says, what if he doesn't say anything at all? Then I want you to do this because I've gotten it wrong for so many years. I want you to do it the right way. If God says nothing, which often happens, don't mistake silence for absence. And instead, take that as a cue that you need to spend the rest of today getting quieter and quieter and smaller and smaller and smaller. Because this one thing I know about our God, who is a gentleman, he will not try and outshout your volume. He'll whisper until you're quiet enough to hear him. So here's the question. God, what's that one small thing 
that will allow me to be more like you. I've got a feeling if God, if this is the first conversation you've had God this morning, I'm pretty sure he doesn't just have a list of tasks he needs you to do. God, what's the one small thing that you need me so that I can be everything you want me to be? So we're going to take just a little bit of time and we're going to pray. And I know some of you are just like, it's 12.15, let's wrap this up. Come on now. Could you be patient for maybe 60 seconds or so? It might blow your mind, but God might actually talk to you. Would you pray with me? Father, in the sacred silence, we come to you and simply say, God, what what do you have for me? I listen now for that still, small voice. God, who do you want me to be so that I can pursue all that you have for me to do? Lord, would you allow us to focus on that, that still, small voice right now? God, if we've heard nothing, would you allow us to match your silence? Would you allow us to be quiet, peaceful? Lord, I thank you for earlier this morning when you just whispered, be grateful. It's been a beautiful day. So, Father, for my brothers and my sisters, as we endeavor to go small, would you allow us celebrate the fact that a big God became small and taught us how to do small things for the greatest eternal impact that we can imagine. Lord, I don't know, I don't know what you're saying to the people in this room, but I pray that we would faithfully listen and be obedient to you. So Lord, I celebrate with my friends today that we actually had a moment when we created space for God to speak. Father, we love you today, and we pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, infinitely great, but preciously small, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen.